On this episode of Risen, I sit down with Reverend Charlie Baber and we have a conversation about comics and how he uses those to share God's love with others and teach people about some theology. We also talk about young adults and the legacies that we leave. I'm so glad that he was able to sit down and share so much wisdom. You definitely won't want to miss this episode of Arisen. Welcome back to another episode of Arisen. My name is Drew Entz. I'm the ministry director at Arise Campus Ministry. And joining me today is Reverend Charlie Baber, who is um, a deacon, a youth minister at University UMC at Chapel Hill. And Charlie, before we go any further, because we tried to not use too much church language and deacon and elder is very inside baseball, clergy person talk. Uh, that no one else cares about except for apparently our system. Um, I wanted to get you to talk just a little bit about what it means to be a deacon, what that is, especially for a lot of our students who are looking into ministry, I think might find themselves more on the deacon track than maybe being a traditional uh, elder in the United Methodist Church. Sure. Um, I'll explain a little bit. Uh, I, I knew I was called to ministry as a college student. Um, but I didn't believe that I was called to be ordained in the United Methodist Church because at the time, all I knew of ordination was the elder track. Um, and uh, in our denomination, the elder is really the person who's in charge of the church. Um, they're ordained to word, service, sacrament, and order. And the order part especially, I didn't feel called to, um, meaning all the administration and oversight of what it takes to run a local church. Um, I didn't feel called to be a senior pastor, and that's usually what elders are. Um, but then I discovered the deacon route and um, was really intrigued that you could be ordained in the United Methodist Church as a deacon and not be shipped around from church to church by the bishop to be the senior pastor of different churches. Um, instead, deacons get to specialize in ministry um, and we find our own jobs. And um, for me, I knew that I was going to spend a lifetime working for the church. And so ordination made sense to me. It sort of felt like a certification of what I was doing already. It, involved in that process, it's very similar to the ordination process of the elder. You have to go to seminary for three years and you follow a candidacy process that's got lots of interviews and papers to write. For me, um, not all deacons work in the, in the church. A lot of deacons work out in the workforce as well. And um, the, the point is that um, we are trying to build a bridge between the church and the world. We're trying to connect those people who don't feel like they have a place in the church um, we're trying to take the church out into the world and un unlock Jesus from the walls of the church. Um, and so uh, that's really the appeal to me of what it means to be a deacon. And I think just being able to sit back and say, as you named, there is a hurting world who feels disconnected, um, especially the church right now, to institutionalized religion. And deacons are really the ones who are going out and serving and building that bridge. I think that's always how I've heard it said is the bridge builders who will go and kind of build those connections and help people to see Jesus already working in their life. 
this idea of prevenient grace and God already doing great things in people's lives. Yeah. And in our communities, because there's great things happening there as well. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, as you've named, is that you are a youth minister. And I think one of the things that really strikes me oftentimes is going to churches and talking with people is that they talk about this group of people being the next generation of leaders. But we're recognizing now that, especially in social justice movements, that this generation deeply cares about making a difference here and now. And so they're not the, necessarily the next generation of Christian leaders. A lot of them are leaders right now, maybe not in the institutionalized church, but in their communities and the ways in which they're advocating for real social change right now. And so just from your viewpoint, what are some of the talents? What are some of the things that you're seeing in young people today? And I just said young people like I'm super old. I, oh, I yeah. Did that and I feel like I'm 90 years old as soon as I say it. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, so I am really impressed with my student leadership. Uh, each year I have new students in high school apply to be leaders in my youth ministry. And I usually have between 10 and 12 high school student leaders. They are still kids, you know, at heart. And they're still goofy and hilarious and have the shortest attention spans. But their heart for ministry is is huge. And uh, one of the kind of global ways I see that is they really recognize um, issues in their school systems and issues in the world. And they see that the gospel includes those issues, that the gospel is for those people experiencing those problems. And so they're always bringing to my attention ways that we can better serve our own students and the students in the schools. And, and so they they're for me, they're the eyes and the voice for the, the voiceless and the unseen. And um, an example is uh, just this past week, um, I was asking my student leaders to remember to put their pronouns on their name tags um, so that we can set an example for others. And one of my students who is an LGBTQ person um, spoke up to me privately and said uh, she didn't think we should require everyone to put their pronouns um, because that may out someone who's not yet ready to be out. And that's something that I hadn't thought of yet. I was just so impressed that that person had the voice to come and tell me something that they were recognizing could potentially be a problem for somebody, even though while we were thought we were being super progressive and, and doing the right thing. Uh, it, it's easy to overlook the real needs of people in the community without the voice of my students. I mean, all of this is seemingly new to me. Yeah. I mean, pronouns on name tags are not something six years ago I would have even thought were something that was hospitable or kind until it really came to Mason and started engaging with our with your young adults who said, hey, this is really important. But to also then to be sensitive enough to say, hey, we don't want to out someone. That's incredible. And I, I find that empathy and that kindness and that how do I look out not just for my own self-interest, but for others, really refreshing in many members of the younger generation, of the young adults that, that I serve with as well. And so mm -hmm. I think there's sensitivity and kindness uh, and compassion is just something that blows me away all the time. Yeah, it, it, 
you know, my students have been very aware of how the gospel um, challenges us to take a stand for social issues. And um, they've, they've been really outspoken with a lot of the issues that have been going on in the last couple of years in our country. Um, and, and it's so heartwarming to me to see that students are making that connection that the gospel moves us outward to be more inclusive of others. Like they, they really get that. And to be transparent and to allow for transformation to happen as well. Yeah. Because I think that's something that they're continuously looking for is they're looking for people to come alongside them. They're looking, yeah. they're, they're yearning for the church as a whole to come alongside with them as they care deeply about these things and these mm -hmm. issues and these concerns. And I wish that more of us who are outside of that generation, right? Millennials, boomers, Gen X, et cetera, et cetera, would have that sense of wonder and learning that is a part of, of being a young adult and being younger. Yeah. And we'd be willing to listen. We'd be willing to learn. We'd be willing to hear a different viewpoint. Totally. One of the cool things that you do is you help share all kinds of different things, theology, world issues, uh, all kinds of different things through a different viewpoint as well. And so if you haven't checked out wesleybros.com, uh, you actually do comics that really dive into a whole plethora of issues. And so how'd you get started with drawing comics and using this as a way to minister to others? Yeah, so as a teenager, uh, I wanted my occupation to be comics. Um, I was so into uh, the comic scene and I actually drew comics for the Richmond Times-Dispatch as a teenager um, once a month through a, a teen section that they had in the 90s. I just really thought that that was what I was going to do with my life. And then um, God really grabbed a hold on me to do youth ministry for my full-time career. And so I really put comics on the back burner at the time in the early 2000s. There was not really a, it was really hard to break into the comic strip industry. Um, but then uh, eventually web comics became this really easy to produce um, sort of thing. And so um, in 2013, I um, decided that it was time for me to get back into my, my first love of comic strips and to connect it with my love for the church. Um, but I didn't want to just do some sort of sappy Christian. Um, I feel like all of the Christian comics that are out there are really kind of sappy and insular. And um, and I, I wanted to do something that was a little more satirical and, and challenged the church. I decided that John and Charles Wesley were these historical figures that um, I really knew a lot about and I admired them and their theology um, deeply. And their story is so intriguing to me that I thought I could make a weekly comic using those characters, but putting them in today's world. So kind of removing them from the 1700s and putting them in this modern time. So I used it, I use it as a platform to teach church history and theology and to challenge the church on issues that I think we've gotten complacent about. Um, and usually it goes really well for me. I've, I've gained a pretty good audience 
but I always know when I've, I've hit the right button when I get a lot of um, arguments or complaints or trolls on something I've posted. And I've gotten liberal trolls and I've gotten conservative trolls because honestly, the Wesleyan way of John Wesley is um, kind of a middle way between extreme liberalism and extreme conservatism. And so when you kind of promote uh, a Wesleyan belief system, it's easy to tick off people on both sides of the of the aisle. And uh, I'm a, a nine on the Enneagram, so I am a peacemaker at heart. I do not want to cause any trouble at all. And so it's, um, I know that something is really dear to my heart if I feel like I have to do a comic strip on a more controversial topic um, that I know I'll get pushback for. Well, as an eight on the Enneagram, I am all for uh, conflict and pushing buttons and things like that. But I did want to just mention real quick for those that may not know from our other partner denominations that John and Charles Wesley are credited with the founding of the United Methodist Church, particularly John. Charles wrote a lot of hymns that's oversimplifying things, but we could go on and on and on about their role in uh, particularly the United Methodist Church and the Methodist movement. I, I wanted to ask if there was one cartoon in particular, this is the Enneagram A to me coming out, that you are maybe the most proud of, and then maybe one that was the most controversial. Sure. So the one I'm most proud of is still my favorite, and it was an early one. And it was no words in it. It was all visual. And it was uh, the story of, it's a made-up story, uh, of John Wesley rescuing a cat. Um, and uh, I used it to explain uh, the the process in which God rescues us, um, the process of salvation. Um, and so without words, I just had this cat outside in the rain, miserable, um, smelling food from the front porch of John Wesley's house and being kind of welcomed into the house and given a new name with a new collar. and. Um, enjoying company with John and um, being used in animal therapy, um, you know, sort of to talk about the ways that God sanctifies us to be of use in this world. Um, but then also the comic ends with the cat uh, biting John and, and running and hiding away under the bed. And um, that, that symbolizes this, this belief we have that we can, even after we've been saved, we can still turn our backs on God. Um, but that God is always searching for us and always coming after us. And so the comic ends with John Wesley lifting the um, bed skirt under the bed to find the cat and handing it. He's got Band-Aids all over his hand from where the cat bit him, and he's handing the cat um, some new food. And that that's the one I'm the most proud of. I, I love the art in it. I love the story. And um, I just felt really... I don't know, like God was using me to con convey um, the story of salvation through that. My most controversial one, it, it's hard to pick, um, but the first one that comes to mind is there was the shooting of Philando Castile back in maybe 2016. And I retold the parable of the Good Samaritan with Philando Castile as the wounded uh, person in the story. And the Good Samaritan was portrayed as a Muslim who came and felt 
like horror and shock at what had happened to the shooting of Philando Castile and then goes to do all of these um, things for the black community that remind the world that the black community has full human worth and dignity. And it, it was really controversial because I had an image of the dying Philando Castile as a saint with like a halo. And I, I had an image of the police shooting into his car. And um, a lot of people thought that it was really beautiful retelling of the Good Samaritan story. But a lot of people that don't understand um, how police violence against Black people can be construed as racism in today's world, a lot of people were just so offended and said that I was perpetuating the problem. I don't feel this need anymore, but for a long time, I felt the need to engage with my trolls and try to get them to meet me on an intellectual plane where we're talking to each other instead of at or past each other. And sometimes that really worked. Um, and, and I came from the position of, if this person is reading my comic, they're most likely my brother or sister or sibling in Christ. And uh, therefore, I want to work towards unity with this person with whom I disagree. And so um, comics like that usually um, allowed me a space to try and build bridges with people across the aisle that um, like significantly hated my comic strip at the time. I've kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a place where I can't do that as regularly anymore. Uh, a year ago, I came out as gay. And um, I, I mean, I've always been, but I finally came out at the age of 39. Uh, my whole world kind of turned upside down. And I'm in a place of healing right now. And, and so I feel like it's not my place. I don't have the strength that I once had to advocate across the aisle and, and reach towards people who feel like they're doing me harm. And so I really applaud the people who are doing that work because in a sense, they're carrying me and doing that work for me until I'm strong enough to do it again on my own, um, which I believe will happen. I feel I've, I've, come a long way in the last year and I'm really quite really happy in ministry and happy with my family and um I'm in a really blessed place yeah I, well and as I've said before you're so well respected here in Virginia and while you're on loan to North Carolina um I just want to thank you for your courage and bravery in coming out um again we really haven't talked before today just thank you Thank you for that courage and for being able, especially for our students, some of who identify as gay, um, that they know that there might be a place for them in the United Methodist Church. So thank you on behalf of so many people. Sure. And, and I hope that that's what my witness is. You know, I've served as youth pastor and associate pastor at churches for almost 20 years. and was gay the whole time, just nobody knew it. Um, and so this whole time people had a gay pastor that they just didn't realize. And, um, and so my hope is that retrospectively, people that were on the fence or um, just against gay people in ministry um, can look back on my life together with them and process that I was gay the whole time. And, um, and that maybe their minds will be changed a little bit. Thank you again. And thank you for coming and joining us on Arisen. I, again, this is what we wanted was incredible people who 
are able to jump on and to be able to share so much about their journey, about who God has created them to be. And I just want to say thank you again for your time and and for your vulnerability in sharing that. For those that want to go and check out Charlie's uh, comic strip, you can go to wesleybros.com. We'll put the link in the description. And again, I just want to say thank you again to Reverend Charlie Baber and to each one of you for listening. We look forward to having you next week and another great guest for Risen. Whoa! <laughs>